Good morning, Chapel Hill. It's so nice to be back to a sedate Presbyterian worship service. It is good to be back with you. Uh, it is always a dangerous thing to be here for the first Sunday back because I've got several weeks stuff bubbling up inside of me and it's all going to come out. So you're going to get it whether you like it or not. But before I uh, bring my message this morning, I just have to pause to say thank you. I was here shortly after we were back in town walking along the streets and I ran into a couple of dear friends from our church and nearly the first words out of his mouth were, you weren't missed. So thank you for that rousing word. I know exactly what he is saying. He went on to say, we love you. We love having you here. But every single Sunday, it didn't matter who was in the pulpit. God was just doing wonderful things. They didn't miss a beat. We have a deep, deep bench. And don't you thank God for the gift of that uh, team. So. So all of the Toon Chicks have flown the coop. We took Cooper over to Whitworth last week. We flew Rachel back Wednesday back to seminary at Gordon-Conwell. And for the next nine months, they are going to be hitting the books. They are preparing themselves for whatever it is that God has for them in their future. And as it turns out, for the next nine months, you're going to be hitting the books too. And this is the book. How many have picked up your copy of the story? How many of you were not able to last week because we sold out? I'm sorry about that. We were excited and everyone bought everything. So there's more stuff back there. If you didn't get one, you are going to want to have this. Because for the next month, next nine months, we are journeying through this. Now, it's the Bible. I want to be clear about this. But it is a Bible taken right out of the, the Bible we use in our pews. But it's written in chronological order. Uh, so, and, it, and it weaves it together like a, a good novel. It is a great read. I read it. I actually have read the Bible a few times, and I read it this summer, and it is a great read. So you're going to want to uh, you're going to want to pick this up. It turns out that today, exactly today, uh, September thirteenth, nineteen eighty-seven, twenty-eight years ago, I preached my first sermon in the Memorial Chapel, and I would. And I will tell you that in those 28 years since then, we have never worked to have a more coordinated effort than we are trying to provide in this coming year, ever. Every life group, every Sunday school class, every youth group, every study in this church is going to be invited to participate in this story. We think it is that important. So I urge you to get back there and pick up all the resources. If you've ever wanted to read the Bible and you haven't gotten to it, if you've ever wanted to do family devotions and never quite gotten to it, we will help you. So pick up these resources and be part of it. Here's what's going to require, though. You're going to have to do your homework. You're going to have to do your homework. This will require some effort for you. Here's how it's going to work throughout the year. The, the, the week, the, this week, the first week, uh, we will preach on the theme that's coming. So every Sunday beforehand and starting next week, every Saturday beforehand, we will preach about the theme that is coming. So it's not too late. We're getting started today. So we're going to set it up. We're going to kind of tee it up for you. But it's huge swaths of Scripture that we are covering. And you're going to have to go home and you're going to have to read and do your own work. You will not get out of it what you could if you're not willing to do that. Now, this first chapter in the story is only 12 pages long. Surely, you can read 12 pages in one week to stay along with what your church family is doing. So, can I see a testimony? How many are willing to say, we're going to do this? How many are in for this? Awesome. I'm going to hold you to it. I've memorized every person who didn't raise their hand, and I'll be talking to you <laughs> afterwards. So, chapter one. Chapter one in the story. God's story. We find ourselves getting the Bible's answers 
to two of the most pressing questions that have been pondered by every human being that has ever lived. Where did all of this come from? Where did I come from? This question has been asked as long as there have been human beings. Then the story begins with this simple assertion. Everything you see, the sky, the stars, the sun, the moon, the mountains, the sea, the waters, the animals, the birds, the fish, everything you see, the people around you, is a creation of eternal God who out of his pleasure and purpose for his own delight said, I'm going to make some stuff out of nothing. He did it by his own words. He simply spoke it into being. He said, let there be light. Boom! And there is light. Let there be mountains. Let there be trees. Let there be a sun and a moon. And sun. He said it and it happened. Didn't you love Ellis's reading earlier today? Did that capture something of the creative delight that God experienced when he was playing with the stuff that he had made? Listen to it one more time. Here's how that book put it. Hello, trees, God said. Hello, grass and flowers. And everything, everywhere, burst into life. He made buds, bud, shoots, shoot, flowers, flower. You're good, God said. And they were. And then came the high point of creation. You have to understand this. The Bible's perspective is the high point of creation came next. Who was the high point of creation? You! You are the high point of God's creation. Humanity, can you believe that? Everything else God speaks into existence. He simply says it. But with humanity, he said, you know what? I'm going to get my hands dirty. I'm going to play in the mud. And so out of the mud, he forms the man. And out of bone, he forms the woman. Out, and you sense God's playfulness as he shapes the most precious of creations. Our culture tells you a different story. Our culture tells you that we are accidents of a mindless process called evolution. Slime plus time. That's you. That's you. That's all you are. Slime plus time. Isn't that awesome? Doesn't that raise your sense of self-worth? And the Bible begs to differ. The Bible declares that all things were created by God, that humans were the zenith of God's creation, created by Him, out of love, in His image, for His delight, and that He placed them in the paradise that He created for their delight. That's what the Bible says. But all of that was about to change as you read on in the story this week. You discover God placed only one restriction, right? He said, everything you can have, but there's one restriction. You can't eat from this one tree. One tree. I want you, as I tell you this story, to listen to the saddest moment in human history. And it comes from Genesis chapter 3, but I just want to tell you the story. And as I tell you the story, I want you to listen for the saddest three words God ever spoke. You ready? So here we go. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called out to the man, Where are you? 
The man said, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked. And so I hid. And the Lord answered him, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman... I'll just pause there for a moment. (laughs) The woman that you put here with me. He's a victim. The woman that you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit and I ate it. The Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate it. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is a story from the story. This is the story that begins our story. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, speak to us now through your word. Take this huge scope, this huge epical scope of of Scripture and bring it to life for us that we might better be your created children. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. So, the serpent. We know from Revelation that the serpent was really the devil in disguise. And he was actually one of God's most beautiful angels, Lucifer, who decided to rebel against God. He was cast from heaven. Now that he's been cast to earth, he decides he's going to try to screw things up here as well. So the serpent, who is the devil in disguise, he makes his appearance. And he deceives the woman... By convincing her that God is holding out on her. That's really what it's about, isn't it? God is holding back. God doesn't really love you as much as he says he does. If he did, he would not hold back on you. And against all odds, against all evidence around her, she believes the lie. God really doesn't love me. God really doesn't want my best She believes the lie that if he really loved her, he wouldn't place any limits on her, wouldn't place any restrictions on her. That's good parenting, isn't it? We've known children whose parents parented like that. You know, there are no limits, no restrictions, no no's. We've had the pleasure of those children. Of course parenting requires restrictions, but she convinced herself that was not the case. As a matter of fact, beloved, we still don't like restrictions. We still don't like them. Those quaint little restrictions about sex in this old book. Those quaint restrictions about marriage. Those quaint restrictions about forgiveness and how we should treat one another. Those quaint restrictions on on how we should spend our money. It's so old-fashioned. 
We can do better than that. Let me ask you this. If this is true, if what I tell you is true, that God, the loving, eternal creator God, has made all of things good, this is his world, then who better to tell us how to live in God's world, God's way, than God? That's what this is about. Helping us to understand what God wants for us so that we might thrive in this life that he has given to us. God's way of living is best for us, no matter the lie of the devil, no matter the lie of People Magazine, too. Well, I got a big amen on People Magazine. I'll have to remember that one. (laughs) Adam and Eve believed the horrible lie that God doesn't really love them, that God is holding back the best from them, that He cannot be trusted. They eat the forbidden fruit and of course everything changes. The relationship with God is torn. They are expelled from the, the, the uh, paradise. But even here, even in this moment of rebellion and disobedience, we sense the passion, compassion, the mercy of God. As we read this cryptic little tender text that we find in verse 21 of chapter 3. It says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. We'll come back to that in just a moment. Remember it, though. It's important. This story that I've just told you is the foundation of the big story that we're going to be looking at. And if you don't understand this story, you will not understand the big story. If you don't understand the three movements of this story, you will not see how it repeats itself again and again and again in cyclic fashion. This is the story of a God who creates good things and blesses good things. If you don't understand, and and this is his desire, he does it out of nothing. And he does it for his pleasure and his purpose. This is the story of, of a God. If you don't understand the fall of how sin crept into the world and turned our hearts against God and made us suspect him and walked away from him. If you don't understand that. If you don't understand God's continued care and redemption of how he reaches out to his naked and ashamed children and clothes them even so. If you don't see those three great movements of creation, fall, and redemption. Creation, fall, and redemption. Then you're going to miss the cycle as it appears again and again and again throughout the story. I'm warning you right now. You're going to see it. Tuck that into your mind. Creation, fall, and redemption. And the rest of the story is a story about God calling his people back to him. Ultimately, the restoration is going to come when? This is the easy part that I throw a bone to you everywhere. Well, in whom is the restoration going to come? There we go. There we go, Jesus. But most of us assume that we're going to have to wait thousands of years and two-thirds of the book before the hero finally appears. Could I tell you what I think is one of the most exciting things about reading the story together? We don't have to wait that long for us to catch a glimpse of the hero. Because the hero of our story, our Savior, our Messiah, he begins to make an appearance in the earliest moments. And we see him appear again and again and again and again and again all through the line of the story, the ark of salvation. We see his appearance. It's exciting. And the more you keep your eyes open to see this, the more excited you're going to be. We're calling this the scarlet thread. This is the scarlet thread that weaves its way through God's story. The appearance again and again of glimpses of the Son. Glimpses of the Savior who is going to one day be seen in fullness. But for now we just get a hint, a type, a shadowing of Him to his, who is to come. So I would like to, would you be interested in taking a look at three glimpses that we get this morning? Would you like to do that? 
I knew you would. Actually, as I was reading it, I found five glimpses of Jesus in this story. So you can keep your eyes open for a couple of more. Here's the three that I would like to call to your attention. And pull out your Bibles, please. The story is a tool to work with our Bible. Pull out your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, 28. I'll ask you, can you remember the text where we first get the hint, the glimpse, the whisper of Jesus? For every story whispers its name. Where's the first glimpse that we have? Do you remember? Let us make man in our own image. It is Genesis chapter 1, 28. Turn to that. Let's read that together. Ready? Go. Let us make man in our own image. One more time. Let us make man in our own image. I think I gave you the wrong verse. 27. That's good. That would explain the silence. Let's take a look at verse 27 while we're at it. So that's actually 26. 26. Then God said, let us make man in our own image. Whew, that was a lot of work to get there. Is there anything odd about that reading? Us! Who's the us? Mouse in his pocket? I don't think so. He is this, we are, whisp- we are listening in on the first conversation we have a glimpse of between the father and the son. We believe this to be the conversation between the Father and the Son over the wonder of creation. And they say to one another, let us make man in our own image. The first thing we discover, the first whisper that we have of Jesus is that he is the creator. He is the creator. The Apostle John knew this. John chapter 1, he says, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. He's talking about Jesus. The Apostle Paul knew this as well. He says, by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created by him and for him. They all saw this, this glimpse that we have now. Jesus was the agent of creation. Did you know that? Remember how a few weeks ago with the fires so bad on the east side, how our skies were hazed over one Sunday so badly that the sun was changed a different color, the paints on the walls of buildings looked oddly different. During that day when the skies were just blocked out, I I saw something funny downtown. I was in the Finholm area and I saw tourists standing on the observation deck, you know the one down there? And they were taking pictures of each other looking out over the harbor. And they were very excited about these pictures that they were going to send home of this beautiful harbor. And of course, it is beautiful. But what's funny about that is when the skies are clear, what is the sight that you see from that observation deck behind the harbor? Yes! The most spectacular view of the mountain is right there. And I couldn't help but laugh thinking, here they are having their Kodak moment. And they don't realize the grandeur that looms behind the beauty. It's a sad fact that many people worship the glory of nature and they miss the glorious creator behind it all. When you walk out today, remember, Jesus is the grandeur that stands behind this beauty. That is the first whisper that we have of the Son, Jesus as the creator. All right, we'll turn to another verse and maybe this won't be the right one this time. Genesis chapter 3. Here's the second whisper. Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. The whisper of Jesus comes in the curse that God places upon the serpent. 
I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. One time when I was in college, my buddies and I went down the Natchez River near Yakima where I was. There was a cable that was stretched across the river and it went to a, it would, it went to a, an island in the middle of the river. And so we decided we were going to shinny our way over that cable out to the island. So I held the thing down because it was too high for everyone to reach. I jumped up, held it down. Everyone got on and one by one, just arm and leg over leg, made their way out to the island. The last guy had just gotten up on the cable and was pulling himself across. When I looked down and right in front of me, right in front of my feet, was a coiled rattlesnake. My mother's saying, Mark, yeah, I didn't tell you all this stuff, Mom. It just wasn't helpful. (laughs) I let go of the cable so fast, I nearly shot that guy right into into the river, you know. And, And I moved as fast as I could away from the danger. And I guarantee you, the thought never crossed my mind, I'm going to walk over there and I'm going to crush that life right out of that snake. And yet, that is exactly what we see in our reading today. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So who is this stomping offspring that the writer of Genesis refers to? It is Jesus, of course. This is looking ahead to the coming of Christ. And in Genesis 3, we're already getting a glimpse of a great battle that will one day take place on a hill in Jerusalem. Thousands of years hence, when the sinless offspring of this woman will be murdered on a cross. And in that moment, all of Satan's minions will breathe a great sigh of relief, including Satan himself, for he thinks he has won the day. Ah, but not quite. Because three days later, the unthinkable happens. The sun rises from death to life, and that serpent looks up to see his big heel come crashing down on his head. So despite all appearances today, Jesus, the crusher, has already won the victory. So we catch a glimpse, a whisper of Jesus, the creator, and of Jesus, the crusher. And then this week as you're reading, you're going to get a glimpse of a, of a third piece of the, of the scarlet thread. And it takes place in that, that so, sorry story of the expulsion of Adam and Eve from the garden. Again, turn to 3, this time to verse 21. We read again there, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. You remember that before the fall, we read that Adam and his wife were naked and what? Naked and unashamed. They live in perfect relationship with each other before God in their experience of creation. They were naked and unashamed. But now they were in shame. Now they had disobeyed and fallen, betrayed and broken God's heart. And and so now they cannot be naked anymore. They must be clothed. And God in his mercy cares for them. But here's the thing. He makes garments out of what? Skin. Where do skins come from? And so here we see the first glimpse of death in the garden. You see that? For the first time, something, I, we wonder, did God kill those animals in front of Adam and Eve to give them yet another taste of what their rebellion had cost, the cost that this was going to represent to them. We see the first shedding of blood. We see the first sacrifice that is offered for the sake of God's broken and rebellious children. An innocent life is taken. 
Blood is shed so that the shame of God's beloved can be covered. You do see it, right? You do see it, right? This is the third whisper, the glimpse that we have of Jesus. We hear a whisper of a future time when God will require an even greater sacrifice. The sacrifice of His own Son. His life will be taken. His blood will be shed. Why? So that He can provide the covering. You see it? So that He can provide the covering for His beloved and broken children. A covering for the sin and for the shame that haunts them. Isn't that glorious? So we see Jesus as the creator. We see Jesus as the crusher. And now we catch Jesus as the coverer. Jesus the creator who will one day become part of his own creation. Jesus the crusher who will one day allow himself to be crushed. And Jesus the coverer who by his own death, by his shed blood, will become the cover for his shameful children. Some of you might say, this seems kind of a stretch, Pastor Mark. I really don't see that there. I, you know what I would say to you? Take my word for it for now. Take my word for it for now. Do your homework and do this journey with us because I promised you as we journey through this, book by book, chapter by chapter, layer by layer, you're going to see more and more and more evidence proving that in these early whispers, God is weaving into the story a single scarlet thread that ties the whole thing together. And when we finally reach Matthew, you all are going to say, Ah, that's what the Old Testament was talking about. That's what we've been waiting for. But now we're just starting. So this week as you read this chapter, chapter 1, keep your eyes open. Will you catch a glimpse of Jesus the Creator in a new way? When you're out walking in the harbor, will you lift your eyes and say, Jesus made this. This sky, this mountain, these beautiful trees, those harbor seals. Jesus made this. And when you look into the mirror... Will you remind yourself, Jesus made this too. And I am in his image, precious, beloved. He loves me the way I am. He created me the way that I am on purpose. Bruce Jenner needs that reassurance. And so do we. Jesus, the creator. Or this week as you are reading yet another account of ISIS. Or watching another video of Planned Parenthood. Or hearing of another gunman who shoots down another police officer. Would you please remind yourself, this is the devil. This is the work of the devil. And one day Jesus is going to crush you for good. One day Jesus is going to sweep up every evil thing and cast it into the fires of hell along with the devil who is the source and origin of all of this pain. If you feel like evil is closing in on you in your life, in your family, in your marriage, in your world, if you feel like the devil is winning, I want to remind you the crusher is on your side. Jesus is on your side and greater is he that is in you. What? than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Or maybe this is the week when that which you have done in your life of which you are most afraid, most ashamed, 
The, that stuff that you've tucked into the darkest recesses of your, of your heart that you don't want anyone to ever know about, but it keeps you awake. It comes back to mind. It kind of floods your memories and haunts you. Maybe this is the week when you need to remind yourself that those things are covered by the death of Jesus, by his cross, by his death on the cross. He has washed away my shame with the blood of his sacrifice. And you no longer need to walk in humiliation before him. Jesus, the coverer, has taken care of that. Earlier in the message, I told you that the story includes what I think are three, the three saddest words that God ever spoke. Did you catch those words? What were they? Where are you? Say it with me. Where are you? Did God really not know where Adam and Eve were? Did they hide so well behind the trees that the Almighty God couldn't figure it out? Of course not. But in their shame, they thought that they could hide from God. And the cry of God's heart was, Where are you? Where are you? Why are you running from me? Why could you possibly think that you would hide from me? Why would you want to? I want you to take note of this because this is the cry of God's heart throughout the story. We hear him cry out, Where are you? Again and again and again. Here in the garden. And then in Egypt, when God's people stay there too long, God comes to them and says, Where are you? Then in the wilderness, when they wander too long away from him, he says, Where are you? In the exile, when they're taken away, God says, Where are you? Come home. In the 400 years of silence between the prophets and the appearance of John the Baptist, he cries out, where are you? Where are you? And ultimately, 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 God comes looking for us in person. In the person of Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate cry of God. Where are you? I'm coming for you. I'm going to find you and I'm going to bring you home. Last year, a townswoman was walking the streets of our harbor and she walked past our harbor baptisms and she watched as we were baptizing people out in the water. She listened to the testimony, to the preaching and she felt compelled to come down and be baptized herself. She was so moved by that. But she didn't do it. She was embarrassed. And so she resisted and she did not get baptized And all year long, all year long that ground away at her, it gnawed at her. It was a missed opportunity, she thought. Two weeks ago, guess who was walking on the streets of the harbor again? And she walked by and there we were again, baptizing, proclaiming the saving, cleaning, covering work of Jesus. And she thought, I'm not going to miss this opportunity. We had baptized 34 people. 23 we expected. 11 came up unexpectedly. Or maybe God expectantly. So she, she said, I'm not going to miss this. She makes her way down. She finds an elder. She, she confesses her, her faith before them. She repents of her sin. She professes faith in Jesus Christ and she walked out into the waters and became number 35. And when she came up out of that water covered from head to toe, dripping, it was a symbol of what Jesus the coverer had done for her. What Jesus always wanted to do for her and what Jesus wants to do for you too. 
Everything that is broken and shameful, Christ has covered it. He has made all things new. She now can walk before Christ with her head held high because Jesus has covered her sin and her shame with his perfection. And I wonder this morning, who here needs desperately to hear the cry of that same call of God in your heart? Who here needs to hear that cry? Where are you? Where are you? He's calling out to you today. He's saying, why are you hiding from me? Why would you think that what you have done is so bad that I can't cover it up? Where are you, my beloved? I want to cover you and make you new. Will you let me do it?